everyone and welcome. How many of you know that God is a faithful God? Amen. I've been meditating on His faithfulness this morning, that He's always, through every season of life, brought us through, right? God is good. Let's just worship Him. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you come and you meet with us, that you love us, that you are concerned with us, Father. We want to just praise you and glorify you in this place. Amen. Let's worship. Buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was Till I
see darkness is fading. Walls of fear, brick by brick, will come down. Your light will shine, lifting me out of the shadows. Here and now, I know where my breakthrough is found. Come on, sing it Sing my way out of the valley. I'm gonna shout my way up to the mountain. I will take hold of the truth of your promise. I'm gonna praise, I'm gonna praise, I'm gonna push through till every life crumbles. I'm gonna dance in the midst of the rain. I'm gonna rest in the
know, one of the awesome things about worship is not only does it break the chains that Satan has to try to put on our lives, but it can break the chains of those who are around us. When you think about Paul and Silas, the Bible says that it was midnight and they began to pray and sing hymns. And it says that the prisoners were listening. And when the foundation of the jail was shook, the Bible says that the chains of every person fell off. And as believers, when we begin to worship in a moment that doesn't seem like we need to, others are listening. And it is a testimony to them about how good and how big our God is. Amen. Let us pray this morning. God, we know that you can break the chains, Father. We know that the victory is yours. Jesus purchased, purchased that on the cross for us, God. And we just ask you to come and inhabit our praise this morning, God, and let it be a pleasing sacrifice to you. We ask you saying in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. You can go ahead and be seated. My name is Justin. I want to welcome you to church this morning. We are so glad that you're here today. And a big welcome back to our guys who went on their Mexico mission trip this past week. As they were there, they actually built a church for that week that they were there. And Mr. Brad Hart, one of our guys who went, shared a testimony with me and I'd like to share with you this morning. It says, this was my first trip to Mexico. When we arrived, we were greeted with friendly faces and delicious food. Everyone was very excited that we were there. The next day we went to the church that was being built. The wonderful ladies there were already preparing meals for the day. They cooked everything outdoors over an open fire. It was some of the most delicious food I've ever eaten. You did not need to speak Spanish to recognize the love that the people showed towards each other. The love of the Lord was evident by the way that everyone worked together and sat down together for meals. It was wonderful to see the Holy Spirit moving as the people came together to build a place of worship. Although everyone was working extremely hard in the rain and the heat, they all had smiles on their faces and seemed to be thoroughly enjoying themselves. What an amazing accomplishment was only done in two days. I came here hoping to be a blessing to others, but it turned out I have been blessed so much more. So what an awesome testimony. Again, welcome back to you guys. So I only have one announcement for everyone this morning. We want to let our Passion Youth Group know that today is going to be Sunday Fun Day. So from 4 to 8 here at the church, we're going to be meeting at the gym. We're going to have a water slide, slip and slide kickball, slip and slide dodgeball. The only thing that we ask is if you're going to participate in the water events, please be sure to wear a t-shirt and some shorts. Be sure to bring a towel and an extra change of clothes and bring some friends. Just to kind of give you a behind the scenes look, we're going to be bringing out some of the Dino Bite food truck recipes. And if you've been to youth camp, you know these are good. So you don't want to miss this. It's going to be an awesome time. And at this time, we want to say thank you to everyone who gave to the fruit baskets that we passed out to our senior adults last week. We received so many texts and calls just thanking us, saying how appreciative they were for that. And this week, we want to continue to honor our senior adults in our community. As some of you know, with COVID-19, we haven't been able to get out to the nursing homes and visit with them once a month like we used to. But our mission offering focus today is going to go towards desserts for those senior adults. So one day this evening, as they're, one day this week, as they're drinking a cup of coffee, we'd like to bless them with a dessert. So as the ushers come forward, we ask you to come forward this morning. Let's give with all of our hearts this morning. And at this time, we're going to have a welcome time. So if you could, let's greet someone with the love of the Lord.
Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to church. It is so good to have you here with us. Uh, I'm Josh. I'm Pastor Kevin's son, and I'll be preaching to you this morning. My parents are out of town right now. They've been having this trip planned and finally got to go and get some rest. Amen. And uh, before we get started this morning, I just want to share with you that me and my dad got together on this with this uh, message before he left, and uh, it's an encouraging word for us. And he said he wished that he could preach it, but son, I'm giving you a nugget. It's a good one, <laughs> and it is. It's been a blessing to me as I've been reading over these scriptures and preparing the sermon for this morning. I pray that the Lord uses it to strengthen us and to bring us joy. As we begin part two of our series entitled This Present Darkness, I want to read Ephesians 6, 11 through 13 in the Amplified Version as we did last week. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand against the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponent, but against the despotisms, and that means the exercise of absolute power in a cruel and oppressive way, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger, and having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. If we're going to stand firmly in our place as believers, then we need to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. Also, we must recognize who the enemy is and what his, his strategies are that he uses to come against us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. But so often we are oblivious that we are even in a spiritual battle. Much less do we know the strategies of our enemy. I want us to look at 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Our enemy is Satan, and all the darkness of his kingdom. And he's not an enemy in the sense of, oh, I, I, I dislike him, and he's against what I'm for, and he leaves it at that, and he keeps his distance from us. No, he is an enemy that is actively seeking whom he may devour, constantly coming against what Christ has given us. So what do we do? Let's look at verse 9. Resist him. Can you say that with me this morning? Resist him. Don't let him just have his way. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We need to understand that Satan is the ruler of this world that we live in, this fallen world, this present darkness around us. And because of that, if we stand with Jesus here on this earth, we will experience sufferings. You say, Josh, I, I thought this was going to be an encouraging word. Hold up, hold on. We're going to get there. The suffering he's talking about is referred to in other places in the Bible as trials, tribulations, persecutions. All believers are subject 
to these sufferings. And in fact, we are told that they will come. Not they might come, but we are told they will come. So the question I have for myself and for you as well is why are we surprised when we find ourselves in the midst of suffering? And more importantly, why will we ever let it shake our faith? Peter warns us that it will happen and that our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world are going through these same sufferings. In fact, people all throughout history have suffered for Christ. I watched a documentary a couple weeks ago about a group of Christians who were martyred for contending for believer baptism. They preached that baptism wasn't just a ritual that automatically saved you in and of itself, but just as the Word says, those who believed and are baptized will be saved. You have to believe before you're baptized. And just for preaching this, they were placed in chains in the city square for everybody to mock them, and then because they wouldn't recant what they've said, they drowned them in the river just for preaching God's Word as it's written. Even though we may face that kind of persecution one day, and we'll have grace to do it, it makes our little problems and our little sufferings that we go through from time to time seem a whole lot smaller, right? Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Listen to this. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we know that persecutions, trials, difficult times will come. How are we called to respond to them? How many of you know that even though we know we're supposed to rejoice and be exceedingly glad in the middle of our, our difficult times, that it's hard to do that in the moment. Can one person be honest with me? It's a difficult thing to do. Why, why is it so hard? It's hard because we tend to look at our physical situation from an earthly perspective, when we need to be looking at it from a spiritual point of view. We need to be aware of the spiritual warfare going on behind our difficult times in life, our times of persecution or suffering or testing of our faith, and understand what the enemy's goal is. Think, what, what is the enemy's goal in attacking me? What is the enemy trying to do? What is he trying to take away? John 10.10, Jesus said this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan's goal is to keep us from receiving the life that Christ wants to give us. And if we've already received it, if we already have salvation through Jesus, he's constantly trying to take that away and destroy that, or at least to take us out of the fight. Satan's only motivation is to steal, kill, and destroy all that is good in your life. The Bible says all good things are a gift from our Father in heaven. 
Satan is trying to take what was rightfully given to you. And you need to stand and say, Satan, no. You have no right and no power to take what God has given me. He cannot stand to see our relationship with God, with Jesus. The blessings that we receive from it, the power we receive from it, and the life we receive from it. One of the ways Jesus gives us life more abundantly is through being a part of his body. Being part of the body of believers unified as the church. And through that unity, he gives us life. He gives us strength. He gives us encouragement. It's such a wonderful, wonderful thing that Jesus has placed in our life, and we never need to take it for granted. We need to guard it as the precious thing that it is. I want to read Psalms 133, 1 through 3, and it talks about just how precious unity is. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. The oil that is mentioned here is the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron as he was being anointed as high priest. And what it represented, it was, it was signifying that God would be with him, that he was anointing him. It was God placing him in a position to serve him. It was God's covering and protection over his life. Think about how much you would value that anointing and how precious and powerful it is. That's what anointing is like, um, uh, unity is like. That's how we should view unity. What is unity like? Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there... The Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Unity is like the dew of Hermon. Mount Hermon is a lush and fertile place with dry, harsh desert terrain all around. Imagine you're traveling through this desert and you are hot your skin is dry and cracked. You're thirsty. And you see this mountain. And on top of this mountain, it's, it's snow-covered in the middle of this desert. And there are rivers coming down. And there's, there's life. There's trees. There's plants. It's an oasis. And in the morning time, all of this moisture creates a refreshing dew in the midst of this dry desert that's all around. That's what unity is like. When we have unity, we have life. We have God's anointing, His power, and His covering, His refreshing, and His comfort. It's a pleasant thing. Satan wants to steal that away. He, he sees that, and he doesn't like it. So he tries to divide us in order to take that unity away. Division means to make two. Unity is about being one. Division means two or more. Division, two visions. And Satan knows that's all it takes to weaken the body, to take away 
power to take away refreshing, to take away blessing, is to get to divide the people and take away that unity. The good news is that we have the power over Satan. The Bible says the power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you and in me. And again, we need to stand up to Satan and say, no, you're not going to take our unity. I value it. I'm going to hold on to it. We need to say we're going to protect the garden that God has given us. We're going to tend for we're going to contend for it and we're going to tend our garden and we're going to treasure it. Recognize the enemy and recognize his strategies. If Satan can't divide us, he tries to make us dismayed. I want to look at why Satan would want us to become dismayed and how to come against it because, again, we have the power over the enemy and his strategies. We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath and the battle between the Philistine and the Israelite army. 1 Samuel 17, verse 3. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he, had bronze armor, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went before him. I did some research on Goliath, because I want to know just, just how tall was Goliath. Just how much did his armor and weapons weigh in our measurement? And so they said a, a cubit was from your elbow to your fingertips, and a span is from your wrist to your fingertips. So depending on the size man measuring Goliath, he was anywhere from between nine and a half to eleven and a half feet tall. It's hard to even picture. A man that's that tall. And he wasn't just, you know, a beanpole. He wasn't a skinny weakling either. Because his coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. Guys, I can hardly lift 125 pounds. And that was one piece of his armor. One piece. His spearhead that's way out on the end of his spear is 16 pounds. It's hard, again, it's hard to imagine how intimidating and, and, and big and powerful Goliath must have been. But I hope that kind of help, helps put things in perspective. Let's look at verse 8. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Because the Israelite army was looking at something that was stronger than they were in the physical, they let the words, when they heard the words, they let the words of the enemy intimidate them and cause them to become 
dismayed. God, why have you placed me in this battle that I could never win? God, who could ever defeat Goliath? God, are you even with us? The enemy had succeeded in their goal by taking them out of the fight. Satan tried to do the equivalent of this to Jesus when he was being tempted in the wilderness. And we're going to come back to the story of David and Goliath, but I want us to look at Matthew 4, verse 1. And here Jesus had just been baptized. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I want you to look at the fact that Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted. You say there's, there's no way God intended for Israel to have to go up against the Philistines and Goliath. There's no way he would place them in that kind of battle. There's no way that the Spirit led Jesus to this battle that was about to take place as he was being tempted. Yes, he did. Sometimes God leads us into a battle to test us or to strengthen us. My Bible reading this morning talks about how it, 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 your trials can build endurance in your life. Sometimes it's to bring him glory as we walk through a difficult situation and not lose faith. That's some of the greatest testimonies that have ministered to me is when I've watched someone go through something that was very difficult, and they never lost their faith in God. They remained true to God no matter what it looked like. As Satan began to tempt Jesus, he began with, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. The enemy tries to get you to question your connection to God and his love that he has for you. If you are the son of God, he tries to get you to question the position that God has placed you in. Jesus is under attack, and it's an attack against Jesus' relationship with his father and the role that God has placed him in. And on top of that, while he's being tempted, we know that the comfort of God was being withheld from Jesus, at least in some part, because, you know, you remember afterwards the angels came and when it was all over and, and ministered to Jesus. So maybe he wasn't feeling much comfort from his father in that moment. And Satan's in his ears, if you are the son of God. But all Jesus had to do was remember back 40 days ago to when he was baptized. I want to look at it together. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. <clears throat> when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Even Jesus needed to be affirmed by God's love in his favor. You are my son, and I am pleased with you. I'm proud of you. I'm with you. He had to go back and believe what God had told him in the past. My dad preached on this a while back. Sometimes you don't need a new word 
or a new sign or a new miracle, but to continue to believe in the word that you've already gotten, to continue to praise him for the miracles we've already received. I'm not going to be shaken by the words of the devil because I have proof in my heart that God loves me. My God has taken me by the hand and he's gotten me through difficult situations in the past. And even though I don't understand where God is in this particular situation I'm going through, I know he's here with me. And I know I have relationship with him. Jesus knew no matter what Satan said, that he was the son of God and that God was with him. And just knowing that brought faith. It brought comfort. And then he responds to this spiritual attack with spiritual weapons. Jesus begins to come at Satan with God's word. And we all know that God's words are much more powerful than Satan's words. And so, of course, he overcame Satan and was comforted once again. Just as Jesus is the Son of God, every believer in this room, every believer on earth is a son or daughter of God. And if you believe in that, it will silence Satan's attacks against your life as he's trying to put a question mark in your mind. <clears throat> 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. When I'm connected to my Father, there is no fear. When I'm connected to His love, there's no fear, and I can remain strong. We're going to go back to the story of David. The Israelite army isn't strong right now. They're not encouraged. They are dismayed and greatly afraid. They have been intimidated by Satan's attack through Goliath's words. Now Jesse's three oldest sons had gone to fight in the battle, and he sent his youngest son David, a young shepherd boy, with some bread and some cheese for his brother. David hasn't been in the battle. He's been watching his sheep and singing songs to God, some of you may know that he, he's writing the Psalms. He wrote most of the Psalms, and the Psalms are songs to God. And as David looks out over his sheep and thinks about how it is his job, he's been placed there to care for his sheep, to protect his sheep. And when something comes against his sheep, he's going to be there to defend them. And he realizes God is our shepherd. He has been placed in our lives to care for us and to watch over us. And he sings about that in Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is reminding himself of his 
connection to God. He is reminding himself of God's protection and comfort, just as he does in Psalms 27. We're going to look at the first part of Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. You see, David, he's coming to the battle with a whole different mindset. And when he hears Goliath threatening the Lord's army and cursing God, he can't believe what's happening. Nobody's doing anything. Nobody's standing up for God. Nobody's going to fight this battle. What's going on? 1 Samuel 17, 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistines and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should de defy the armies of the living God? David, Goliath is uncircumcised. That means he is not under God's covenant. He's not on God's side. David said, guys, we're under God's covenant. We are his people, and he will fight for us. David understood the battle is not mine, it's God's, and that empowered him to fight. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I, I don't fear this situation. But not everyone had David's faith. His brother told him that he was prideful and insolent. David, what are you doing? David, who do you think you are? And even King Saul tried to discourage David from going against Goliath. Let's look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out from the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth when it arose against me. I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of of this Philistine. David remembered back to what God had done for him in the past. He remembered the victories that God had given him. He remembered the times where he saw God fight for him, and it gave him faith, faith to fight a battle that nobody believed he could win. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put it in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when David, <clears throat> and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. That word disdain means that when, when Goliath disdained him, 
It meant he was not worthy of any consideration. David, I see you of, as absolutely no threat to me. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that has come, that you come at, to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into your hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards, toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took, out, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. What an unlikely victory if you look at this situation from an earthly perspective. But David said, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come in the name of the Lord. Goliath, you might not see it, but I have the advantage. I have the advantage on my side. Goliath, your victory would have to come through your physical weapons, but my victory will be because God is with me and he fights for me. If God is with me, come on, if God is with me, who can be against me? Amen. David chose to get in faith rather than to become dismayed. He did not allow the enemy to take him out of the fight like the Israelite army. Because when we do that, we've let Satan win. Dismay takes you out from the role that God has called you to stand in. Every member of a church family has a role, an important role to play. God brings these members together to form a body, and each of us has a specific function, a specific role to play. Just like a family dynamic, we're, we're all different. We all have different strengths. We all have different giftings, and God wants to use those anointings to bring glory to his kingdom and to further his kingdom. As the church, we can't stop for one minute. We can't slow down for one minute because there are souls that need to be saved. God has plans for his church. God is always building his church, and we can never let discouragement slow us down. Like we talked about in the beginning of the message, it helps us to not become discouraged if we remember 
that we are called to suffer as believers. And God may have even led you to that suffering to grow or to be tested or to be strengthened. We read 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 at the beginning of the message, and I want to read verse 10 right here. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, after you have suffered a while, may God perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Look at that phrase, after you have suffered a while. God says, my deliverance is not promised to be immediate. Sometimes there's a giant out there, and I feel unsettled. I'm tempted to become dismayed or discouraged, but I have to suffer through a little while and just have faith that God is in control and God is going to win this battle. Have faith that he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle me. We are called to rejoice and praise God even through the battle, remembering his promises. Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Our deliverance is not promised to come immediately or through the way in which we expect. What about those men and women we talked about who were martyred for preaching God's word? You think God was with them? What about the disciples who were martyred? God's 12 chosen men to go and preach the good news and further his church, but yet they were martyred. Maybe God's victory was in them being martyred, and that's their testimony that we today can look back to and say, I need that kind of faith. I need to be able to stand in the fight when the enemy comes against me. The, your deliverance may not come in the way that you expect. God doesn't promise that, but he does promise to never leave us or forsake us. He will always be with us. Nothing can ever separate us from his love. Does that mean that God doesn't love us when bad things happen? No. He's always there, and he will never leave us. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Band, y'all can come up. I want to wrap up with this morning with one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Every time I read it, I just, it just brings faith. We're going to read Romans 8, 34 through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. That needs an amen right there overwhelming victory. We just didn't shoot the winning shot at the buzzer. It's overwhelming victory. And maybe it's not to the day when Jesus comes back for his church and he defeats all the powers of darkness. Maybe that's our overwhelming victory. But just have faith in what God has promised. Let's look at verse 38. And I am convinced that nothing can ever 
separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful promise. And it, to me, it's an encouragement to never allow Satan to take away what God's given me. You know, sometimes you're watching sports and they say, oh, uh, team A didn't win. They let, they allow team B to take it from them. In other words, team B didn't play the better game. Team A was in control the whole time. They had the best players. They had everything they needed to win. They allowed team B to win. If Satan ever defeats me, I've allowed him to win. He literally doesn't have the tools. He doesn't have the power to overcome me if I have Jesus in my heart, if I have the Holy Spirit inside me and working through me. Let's get the mindset of David that no matter what I'm going through in life, if I'm in covenant with God, he will fight for me. He will always be with me. Let's stay connected to our Father. Trust and have faith in Him, remembering all the times that He has been faithful, and that will bring us comfort no matter what we go through in life. Let's stay connected to the body. Let's treasure unity and protect it. What a blessing our brothers and sisters in Christ are. Amen. What a blessing from God. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Let's bow our heads this morning. And if you say, I want that connection. I want to be connected to Jesus. I want that connection to God that can only come through the cross of Jesus then you can ask him into your heart this morning. If you see your sin and understand that you're in need of a Savior, in need of the cross, in order for you to come in relationship with the Father, you can accept that gift this morning. If you're ready to lay down your life and say, God is no longer my life, it's yours. It's no longer my will. It's yours. You can do that this morning. And if that's in your heart, we're going to all pray a prayer together and just pray that with all of your heart and then sign up to be baptized. God says, believe and be baptized. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've fallen short, but Jesus, your cross, your blood can cover my sins and set me free and bring me into relationship with my heavenly Father. From this day on, I no longer serve myself, but God, I serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And now, I want every believer in this room, whether you just prayed that prayer or you've been saved for 50, 60 years, I want us to make a declaration of faith together. And if I want you to repeat after me, and if you believe what I'm saying, I want us to declare this together in unity as a church and understand the power of what we're doing right now. Let's close our eyes. God, I believe that I am in relationship with you. 
God, I believe that you love me. God, I believe that you care for me. God, I believe that you fight for me. God, I believe that you are more powerful than anything in this world. God, I believe that you will never leave me or forsake me. God, I believe that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God, I thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for this garden and help me to value it and tend it. And all God's people said, amen. Let's praise the Lord this morning. God, we thank you so much. You're so good. Y'all be blessed. I love y'all. Get in faith this week, and we will see y'all next Sunday. You're dismissed. What's up, bro?